The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. This morning we're going to talk about uh, really one verse and how this verse plays out in our life. We've been going through Corinthians and we've been on a break in between seasons. We break up our sermon series into seasons. Season three is starting next week. It's life in the simple things with, with God and how to live for Jesus. But it really, this message is a springboard, not only for the next season, this message is at the heartbeat of, of who I am as a pastor and who I pray for you to become. And I fear I haven't done a good enough job banging this drum enough. Because at the chapel, for those of you who have been here, we are all about Jesus. There's a reason why it says Jesus up here, not your name. It's not all about the happiest, best marriage for you, although God can bring amazing things into marriage. It's not all about you being wealthy or poor or, or whatever it is, although God can do things. He'll, some of us will be poor in Jesus' name. Some will be well off in Jesus' name. Some of us, like me, will just be Riverview okay in Jesus' name. But it's all about Jesus. And there's, there's a great fear that I have, not my greatest fear, but one of them is stemming from this verse. This is what the Bible calls the Great Commission. It's when Jesus had lived his life. He had died the death that we deserve to die. He rose from the dead, and he's telling this to his followers right before he leaves. This is his final mission to you and to me, to Peter, to James, and to John. All authority, and some of you know this verse. You've had it just as a banner over your, your lives or churches. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's my fear, is that for so long, church in the West, Europe, United States, etc., has made church about you coming here. My fear is that there are many people who one day when we die, could be today could be your day, depending on how you're getting along with your spouse or your parents, uh, tomorrow, 20 years, 30 years. I did one of those things recently. Uh, they've got these filters on social media, and one of them is, what year will you die? And it was crazy. I'd die in just a couple of years, you guys. Just a couple of years left. 2025 was my year to go. And, I, and this is basically like it reads your face. It also told me that I was Elsa as my Disney doppelganger, so I don't trust it entirely. But, uh, but I thought, we're all going to die and stand before God, and God's going to do this. He's going to say, I sent you to make disciples. Did you make any? Did you, did you make a disciple? Because God didn't say, go, therefore, and faithfully attend a church gathering two to three times per month. God didn't say go and lead people in the Lord's Prayer 10 times a year. God didn't say go and read your Bible in your room and pray by yourself and then just go about your day. Jesus said none of these things. For his final commission, he said, go, therefore, because, because he has all the authority, go make disciples. So the question is, what is a disciple of Jesus? And I asked the first service this. I said, what's a disciple? And believe me, there are wrong answers. I'm not that teacher. There are wrong answers. Anyone want to give it a try after I said that? No, no one did. That's not, Jared gave the answer. Of course, Jared would. Uh, it's right here in this text. What are we supposed to do? Make a disciple. And a 
just for you non-Christian people, and maybe you've just been a Christian so long you've forgotten that disciple is a church word. But you don't go to like random places. You're not going up to like some business and some guy's like, this is my disciple. No, it's a mentor or a mentee or this is my protege. A disciple just means a learner, someone who's learning something. And every one of us in here are already making disciples. I don't know if you knew that or not. Every one of you are professional disciple makers. I can prove it right now. Um, parents with kids, how many of you ever had your child repeat something in public that you said in private? Like any of the words. Like, that's right. It's happened to me. And I don't say much in private. But all of a sudden, my kids are picking up on things. And every time a kid around here cusses, first I pat him on the back and I'm like, Go talk to your parents. Better luck next time. And I learned something recently this week, actually. One of the parents said, I teach my kids that those are big words to be used by a little person. So I'm using that. I'm stealing that. Because my kids now come home from school where they're discipled by their classmates. And they say all kinds of horrendous things. It's weird when your, uh, at the time, six-year-old son comes up to you and confesses. He says, Daddy, I got to confess. Because we talk about confession and repenting in my house. I have been cussing a lot lately. And this is my favorite kid right now that said this to me when he was six. He's the cutest one. You can guess which one that is. Right now, anyways, he's cute because he's pint-sized. All my other kids are lumbering, giants, Amazonian-looking kids. And Silas just told me, I've got a problem cussing, Dad. I said, okay, let's talk about it. Why do you like to cuss? Well, everyone else cusses, so I cuss. Guess what? That's discipleship. Might not be toward what we want, but it's someone learning something from someone. You guys disciple one another. Some of you know that if you're having a bad day, there's a person you call because they lift your spirits. Some of you know that if you've got a secret, you don't tell this friend because they'll tell all the friends. That's discipling. They discipled you to, to know that they're not good secret keepers. If you're friends with my wife, you'll know that she has discipled everyone in her life to understand that she never has her phone on her. I pay for my wife's phone every month. She never has her phone on her. I get more calls to my phone for my wife than I get to my phone for me because she never has her phone. She's discipled people to know that. They don't even call. My mother-in-law doesn't call. You don't call. No one calls my wife. And if they do, it's because you just don't know her well enough yet. I'm going to cancel her number one month and just not even tell her. She's going to go to Costco and get lost, no GPS. Her loss for not, yeah. We're discipling people right now. So I want to talk about it. In this passage, there, there's a specific identity that is given to us. We are baptized, which means we get put underwater. We die to ourselves, and we rise again in Christ. And it has three specific things that we're baptized in. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. If God is our Father, what does that make us? Let me do this the simple way, since you're the slower service today, apparently. If I'm a father, what are my children? What do they call each other? Starts with the S, rhymes with iblings, not halflings. Okay, siblings. If God's our Father, we're all family. If Jesus Christ is our King, we're all servants. If the Holy Spirit is in us, we are sent ones, just like the Spirit was sent by God the Father. And if we solve most of church issues with just this remembrance of an identity, a disciple of Jesus is someone who sees God as Father, therefore we are all family. A disciple of Jesus who sees Jesus as King, therefore we are all his servants and we serve him and the world. If we are a disciple of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, who is the sent one, now lives in us, and we are sent ones to go make more disciples of Jesus. Here's why this is 
very simple principle, yet very often forgotten. How many of us have ever been hurt radically by a church person? Me. How many of us just get, have ever been burnt out by serving too much? either serving at home, serving in ministry. I, I have this theory, uh, and it applies to read this week as well. And it, it's my theory, and maybe some of you will get this theory. Sometimes you can work so hard you never get sick, and then as soon as you have a vacation, every virus in the world invades your family. Does that happen to anyone else or just me? I think that happened to read this week. I think I gave her double pneumonia because she's been just working and serving and doing this and leading that. And I'm like, Ree, you need a week off. You got these kids at home that you're fostering. Take a week off. And she's like, well, I don't want to take a week off. I'm like, take a week off. And then I get a text last night. Ree won't come to service. She's got double pneumonia. I don't even know how much pneumonia can go up to. I thought it was just pneumonia. Maybe there's a triple pneumonia. I don't know how this stuff works because I haven't taken a break lately. But as soon as I do, this summer, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to go somewhere pleasant and I'm just going to get sick. It's how it works. It's how it works. Now, now as in a family, it's different. I want you to ask yourself this question. What would, they, what would a healthy family of God do in any situation? Because I've been in churches where elders took a fist swipe at pastors. I've been in situations where people say, I'm not going to give to the church because you're going to take out the pews. I've been in situations where churches split, where people divide, where people scream and yell. And some of you are thinking right now, that sounds a lot like my family. And in some ways it is. The interesting thing about being the family of God, if God is our father, is that it, it creates something different in us. See, I, I like most of you, and I would engage with some of you, and I will let even less of that number come into my house, okay? I've literally told people who have knocked at my door and said, can I come in? No. Not for me. I don't mind, but my wife minds. She's got a Clorox wipe the floors, and like she's very orderly, that one. Family is this. Uh, right now, we've got family at our house. Because we've been moving our family from, the, from California over to Florida. First, it was like my in-laws, move them in. And they lived with us. I don't even remember them living with us. And then it was my parent, my mom, my stepdad, my, my half-brother. And then we moved in my wife's family. Now, if I'm just being honest, I like my family a little bit more because they already know my crazy. But now I've moved in my wife's sister, my brother-in-law, two teenage boys. And now that just arrived last night, a teenage daughter of theirs. I have no teenagers yet. My kids are all less than. But we're family. And I, I begin to realize we're family after a few things, you see. Because family means you don't have to clean up for these people. And some of you are like, I don't have church family. Who in your life do you know or have a neighbor, a friend, or someone else that you're not even related to? They can come into your house anytime. And they could just put food on a paper plate. They could pour wine in a plastic cup. And you're just like, family. That's what family looks like. But the family of God is th are those people when we're directed toward God and how we encourage and love each other. Last, uh, yesterday, my, my sister-in-law made fried chicken and we're just all in the kitchen. And my house is not big. And now there's uh, like a billion people in my house, five plus six, 11 people in my, my house living there currently. The teenagers, they eat things. They, we go to Costco and our fridge is gone the next day. And for my, only my kids, it lasts for like two to three weeks. So they've done this multiple times now. We're like, we Costco, they destroy. We Costco, they destroy. So I told last service, I said, I'm just going to, because their dad was in service, I said, I'm just going to send your kids to Costco and let Costco deal with them directly. I'm not playing the middleman anymore. And, uh, but what happened was this, they, we've been hiding food now and they're not in the service, so I could tell you. <laughs> My wife and I are hiding Chick-fil-A sauces in our room. Like that's how 
crazy this has gone. We hide cookies. We started labeling some food, like not for you. Like we'll buy two of each. This is your family's. This is my family. We got the big Costco muffins. Yesterday, last I checked, there was crumbs in the Yarish one and literally only half a muffin was eaten out of the Torona one. And I was like, see, this is why we're going to label things, hide Chick-fil-A sauces, not let people in my room. So last night they went and picked up their daughter and they came in and uh, we, had, we had fried chicken and they had destroyed our Chick-fil-A stash. And, uh, and I hear this knock on the door. It's like 10 o'clock. I'm praying for all your weary souls. And I'm, I'm like, God, who's knocking on my door? It's 10 o'clock at night. And I have the default thing. It's not appropriate. But every time someone knocks on my door since they've been there, I yell out, I'm naked. Just it's like my scarecrow, like go away. That's what that means. Like I may or may not be, but go away, which is pertinent because the first 24 hours that my sister-in-law moved in, she did walk in and I was born that day in my skin. And um, so she, we've already gone through this. This is two weeks ago. Ah! One of those. And uh, so last time she knocks and I go, I'm naked. And she goes, really? I could be. It's my bedroom. And she cracks the door open. It's like a scared. She goes, I went to Chick-fil-A and got extra sauces. And she dropped them in a little plastic baggie there. <laughs> and just closed the door. If that's not family, I don't know what is. My, she knows my wife's got an addiction. I call it theft. Like, I don't think it's legal to take the whole Chick-fil-A thing and dump it in your purse. But she says it's just borrowing. Anyway, uh, she loves their sauce. She loves it. She doesn't really do that Chick-fil-A. I'm sorry. It's the Lord's chicken. We love you, you know. Um, but family says, I said, we ate that. I went and got some. Family says, we made a mess. Let's help clean it up. Family says, let's come together. Family says, we can let our hair down and be ourselves. Now, that's not, they're not totally my family because <laughs> I retreat when people are around me. I can't people too much. And uh, one day, Jake goes, I, I know you've been going up to your room to try to get away. He said, and it was just me and Jake in the kitchen. He said, just, I want you to know, just be yourself around me. Be normal. And I was there in my basketball shorts, and I was like, okay. <laughs> I had underwear on. <laughs> I was like, just kidding. But I did. I was like, I was like this is why we can't be normal, man. Because at some point, a man leaves his father and mother and goes and cleaves with his wife. Man, you ain't my wife. But we're family. We'll eat off each other's plates. We just, whatever my kids don't finish, their kids finish. Whenever sauce gets destroyed, someone goes and smuggles it out of Chick-fil-A and drops it into our bedroom. I woke up and there it is. It's a sack of Chick-fil-A sauce this morning on my bedroom floor. That's family. Do you have the family of God around you to encourage you, to, to be able to walk into? I don't have much of it. There's a few people here, and most of them I'm related to. So like my brother's there. I walk into their house, but they live so far, so I just don't. Bree and Jared are here. I feel bad for them. Because I'll walk into their house. Actually, just a few weeks ago, I walked right through their house and didn't even say hello. I saw Bree in the kitchen facing that way. And I just walked right through their house to their backyard to sit by the fire pit. And I didn't say hello. And then I heard their kid, Addie, goes, Mommy, Pastor Ryan just walked through our house. <laughs> you know what she did? She brought out a drink. It's family. We're saved to be the family of God, though, putting God at the center. We're saved to be servants. We're saved to serve one another. What would it look like if we, as a, as a body of believers, said, I'm here to serve. Like, Jesus served me, I will serve you. What would that look like if we went out of our way to say, I, I, I want to see a need, I'm going to meet a need. Someone needs help, I'm going to find that. Someone has a tree that needs to get chopped down, we're going to chop it. Someone has some electrician work to get done, we're going to electrician it. Because we've got so many talented, incredible, amazing people here. And every, I see this on Facebook. People are still hiring people. 
As a matter of fact, Nicole, who sang with me this morning, I went to try to fix a fire alarm at her house because she posted a picture of it, and my ladder wasn't tall enough. But there's a ladder back there that is. But I can't carry it myself, nor do I have a truck. They live just nearby. I just need someone with a truck to put it in there and go over there, and someone that's not afraid of heights to go up and get it. Trent? If you weren't cluing in that the Lord was speaking to you directly in that moment, this week, that's my brother, I can do that to him. Savannah, stop trying to FaceTime me while I'm preaching. <laughs> if we are in our identity, God's our Father, this, Jesus our King, the Spirit is descending when we are missionaries. We ought to always be thinking, who is not yet in the family of God and how can I love them into the family of God? And that's where the next part of this message comes out. And I need you to understand this, that this is not, this is just rhythms. They're called gospel rhythms up there. And people smarter than me sat down, and, and I've done this exercise multiple times, and just ask myself this question. What do humans do? Not Christian humans, not Buddhist humans, not atheist humans, just human humans. Americans, Africans, Asians, Filipinos, Australia. What do we do? And now these are rhythms that every person throughout history in any culture does. And if we learn how to live out our gospel identity of family, of servant missionaries in these rhythms, that's what it means to be a disciple and make a disciple. And they're very easy. They're my, some of my favorite activities. Number one, obviously, is eating. Have you ever thought about the fact that we pray the weakest prayers for food? This is what most of us, including me, do. Lord, thank you for this food we're about to eat. Bless it to our bodies. The only reason I think it's weird is because the food is the blessing. God created us, not like snakes and not like other animals. There's some animals that literally eat once and then they could take two months off of eating. I had a snake. His name was Shadow. He had to be evicted when I became more serious with Amy because she didn't like snakes. But I would feed Shadow like a rat or mouse thing. He would eat and just be full for like a week. How many of you have tried to be full for a week off of one meal? Like we just did it. Everyone in here just did it. We just Thanksgiving and then we Christmased. What did you eat not 24 hours after you stuffed your face on either holiday? You ate leftovers, pumpkin pie, pecan pie. You made turkey or ham sandwiches. For whatever reason, we are still hungry. God created us to enjoy food, and he gives us this opportunity for a few reasons. One is, every day we need to be reminded that something outside of us is needed to fill and fuel what is inside of us. Jesus, for a purpose, said, I am the bread of life. Eat me. He didn't say, I am the snack of life. He didn't say, I'm a once a year rhythm of life. God wanted to give us a daily reminder of how much we need him in food. And not only that, eating is an amazing experience that takes all five senses. And if you put it with community, creates this amazing connection. If, you, if you're like me, I had to repent this week because my eating goes like this, especially in a house with 10 other people. I open the fridge, I get out the food, I make something, and I literally put it on the counter, standing there, and I graze. Throw it away, retreat to my room. It's been my mode. I just like, food is fuel. Let's just be fit, blah, blah, blah. And then I, as I'm reading the scripture, I'm like, God set up meals to remind people over and over and over again to look to him, to trust him. The most famous meal in the world, the Passover meal, is to say, you eat this to remember me. The meal is the remembrance of the blessing that God is with us, that he provides for us. And God makes you have to eat anywhere between 21. That's like an average three times a day, seven days a week. Some of you I know graze. Maybe you eat 75 times a day. I don't know what it is, but 
God created you to need it. Let's take an opportunity and say, what would a family of servant missionaries do around a table? We would eat. We would sit and listen to each other's stories. We would let the senses be taken over. I, I just I love food so much. I love, yesterday when the fried chicken was getting made, I smelled it first. God gave me a nose to smell food. And I, was, I smelled it from upstairs, and I just came down like a thundering buffalo. And then I heard the oil crackling. And then I saw my sister-in-law. She had like a club hand from all the flour and eggs sticking together. And she was like, chicken, something, dip in the egg, something, seasoning, and then sizzle. And then when the chicken was getting taken out, I was just like, shoot, take it out, put it in, take it out, insert here, take it out. And then I got the Chick-fil-A sauce out. Take it, rip it, dip it, eat it. And I realized I'm preaching about eating with people, and I'm literally about to snack my way out of community. Take time, if we're eating as a family, to sit down as a family. It doesn't mean you have to sit down at a table. My family's terrible because my wife and I don't eat dinner hardly ever. We do lunch and then like small little plate. But to sit down and say, how is your day? Like really? What would it mean to sit down and eat as a servant? Some of you can't stand being served. You're literally allergic to it. I've watched it happen. You have to get up and help. Sometimes it's good just to be served, and sometimes it's good just to be the servant. Sometimes you will be both. It's my, my philosophy, my suburban philosophy is this. If someone, if you're going to a chapel family, you can ask if you can bring anything, and if they say no, then you bring nothing. You just go, I'm going to come be served. I can't do that. I must bring a bottle of wine with a bow or a card. You, br you bring nothing to Jesus, yet he brings everything. It's just a picture. And, and maybe next time they'll make everything and you, or you make everything and they bring nothing. But it may, don't waste your meals. If we're going to be doing this gospel rhythm of eating as missionaries, it means we have to intentionally eat with people who don't yet know and love Jesus. And not to do the corny Christian thing. I don't want you to like make this meal, invite your neighbors over who don't know Jesus. And it's just amazing. The skin on the pork is just off the charts, the sandwich, whatever you're making. And it's not that meal where your neighbor gets to the bread and they're eating like, ooh, the best bread ever. And you'd be like, not better than the bread of life who is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Hallelujah forever. Amen. That's annoying Christian stuff. You just eat. You say, God, I just love you. I just want to make this big old meal just to love you. No, no, nothing. Because we're not doing this to try to trick someone in Jesus. We're not doing this to try to sneak someone into Jesus. We would, we're called to love people who don't know Jesus. Whether or not they come to Jesus is up to Jesus. We love them, feed them, share good news with them, encourage them, do these other rhythms with them, and let God do the heavy lifting of changing a heart. The next one is story. We all have a story that we live within. We all have a, another word for story could be worldview, a way that you view the world, the story of how your life ought to go or how life is or, or is not, but you would like it to be. The Bible has an overarching story that goes over all other stories, but we all have something in our brain. Maybe for you, the story is what type of job or what type of person you're supposed to have or what type of income you're going to make. Maybe for you, is, the story is how good can I get my kids to behave? Maybe for you, the story is, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe for you, the story is, I want to help foster kids, or I want to help the poor. Maybe for you, the story is just the American dream. How is it that we allow the, the stories of our life to intersect with the stories of others? And that's why story and listening are, are closely related to each other. If you listen to people, I mean really listen, 
Christians have a bad habit of talking at people before they listen to them. In this gospel rhythm of listening, every culture listens to something. And we have a thousand stories bombarding us to listen to my story, listen to this story, buy this brand, do this thing, have marriage this way, raise children this way, eat this food, do keto, no keto, high carb, no carb, low carb, death carb, gluten, I don't know anymore. I just quit and I eat all the glutens and carbs. But if we listened to people and heard their needs, we could actually speak God's story into their lives in meaningful ways. Instead of just saying, Jesus died for you, we could say, man, I hear you, I hear you a lot. Like you're just struggling with your, your marriage or struggling with your kids. And you keep looking to these things to like fix it and quick fix it. And I don't know if there's a quick fix. And in God's story, sometimes he took a long time to, to carry his people along, and including me. God took a long time to carry me along through a lot of ups and downs and bumps and bruises. But if you don't listen to people to know their needs, then how will you ever know how to speak God's story into their life? God's story that God created the world and it was good and amazing and beautiful, and then it broke. We call that the fall. And then everyone since the fall has had problems that have plagued them, miniature tastes and samples of hell on earth. And then Jesus came to redeem He's the one that saves us from the brokenness of our lives. Whether your brokenness is political systems, whether your brokenness is your kids or your spouse or your neighbor or your house or your money issues or your stress issues or depression, whether you're broke, whatever your brokenness is, Jesus says, I want to speak life into that. And then God says, and there's a perfect world coming when I will finally solve all of the issues of brokenness and there will be no more pain. That's God's story, the creation, the fall, the redemption, the restoration. And every one of our stories intersects with God's story. But if we're not listening to ourselves and others, if we're not listening to God forward by reading his word, not listening to God's voice as we walk through daily life, how will we be able to know what people need to hear in the story of God? I listen to you guys a lot. I've got like, I don't know, a dozen or so of these at my house. And they last, anyway, depending on how aggressive I am, anywhere between like, four months to a year sometimes, um, I take notes about all of you guys. Like if we've ever hung out, your name is in one of my journals. Super creepy, I know. But it's not like, I'm not like, here's what we're going to pray for them, some Lord, a sort of hex of Jesus love and spell. No, I'm just like, this person seems like they're having a bad day. This person, pray for their family this week. Tragedies. This person, fired up about this thing in Jesus. This person, when I peeked out when I was leading the song, I mean, I saw them worshiping, so I just write that down. I love the way that person worships Jesus. Listening to when you talk to people, listen to what they complain about. That'll tell you what their problems are, what they, their, their little picture of hell on earth is, is what people complain about. And then show them a better and true solution. Show them a story that actually points toward real hope, lasting hope, forever hope. And not just a story that points toward temporary fixes. Next one is blessing. How often are we ready to bless people? How many of you love getting gifts? Who are, who are gift getters? I'm a gift getter. I'll straight up admit it. I love getting gifts. How many of you love giving gifts? Some of you are gift givers. Gift givers. I'm going to become friends with you guys. You're both gift givers. So you don't even care about getting them. So here's the thing. You all go shopping. I want. Okay? Good smelling Bibles, journal, whatever. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the church is called to bless not only others within the family of God, but to bless people who are outside of the family of God, who are exploring, who are not even connected. And we are to bless, to give in words, actions, 
we're to do this without expecting anything in return. And here's why we can do all of these things. Here's why we can eat with people and trust that God will provide for the next for the next meal. Here's why we can listen to people and be vulnerable when we speak about our own struggles. Here's why we can bless people without expecting anything in return, because Jesus gives us everything that we need for a life in faith. He gives us our identity as his children, his children. Like my kids know I'm their dad, and they're at that age where they keep comparing themselves now to other kids their age. They're like, well, I'm not like them. And usually it starts out on the flip side. It says, daddy, they can go stay up until nine o'clock, is what they'll tell me about all their friends, because apparently I'm such a bad dad for making them go to bed at 8 o'clock. It's all your fault, Mom. I went to bed at 8 till I was 15. I could point you out in service. You get this. So I tell my kids, you're in bed by 8. And Jackson's like, can I have till 8.30? No, but this friend stays up till 9. And here's what I say every time. Do you want to be like that friend? And he thinks about it. No. One time he said yes, and I said, then you go live with their parents. He said no. The reason why we can do this is because we are God's kids and he will never let us go. I will never, as far as I can tell, stop loving my children. Now, I go through immense seasons of dislike and disdain, okay? I don't understand babies. Like, I look at Bella now. She's walking. You might have seen her if you got here early. She is so cute, but functionally useless to me. Like she doesn't clean up anything. She makes more mess than she creates. She still poops in her pants. So you basically are good for nothing but dressing up, which I don't do. But I love you. If someone tried to take Bella, you're dead. Like you're, you're dead before you get to the door. If someone tries to take Jackson, Silas, you're dead. And I'll do it. If you try to take Savannah, you're dead. And Savannah will do it to you. <laughs> the reason why is because I'm their dad. God is your, your dad. He's my dad. You are a son or a, and or a daughter. And it's, it's just an amazing experience to realize we can give stuff away because the giver of every good thing is constantly waiting. He's saying, you have not because you ask not. You need something, ask. And I'm going to create this body of people who are constantly going to bless one another and provide for one another. There's a story, a short verse in the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 43 that says, all the believers were together. They had all things in common so that no one had a need. If someone had a need, they'd sell their stuff and meet the need of the person. Imagine, imagine if that's the type of blessing church we could continue to become, and we are that way, it is incredible for me to see the things that I've, I've watched people just part with. Just random, like, I heard someone needs money. Here's money. I heard someone needs a bed. Here's a bed. I hear someone needs a car. Here's a car. As a matter of fact, the reason why maybe you haven't had some prayer answered for some need in your life is because you just haven't told anybody. And, and I don't want to be the funnel for it all, but at least come and try to tell me. At least say, Pastor Ryan... We've been coming here for like two years. Where's the, I can't even pay rent this month because I have so much stuff that I can sell to help you. Now, my wife's not here, which is why I can say that at this service. I didn't say that last service. But I could easily sell either of my nephews for a good price. I can loan out my kids. I got things. Like God's just giving me things, and he's given us things, way more than the early church had, but they made sure no one had a need. Well, won't people take advantage of it? Absolutely someone will. Does that change the fact that God gives us himself 
And he says, now give of yourself to the people of God. Give of yourself to the people in need. There's a reason why so many people here foster kids. It's not because they woke up one day and thought, you know what sounds easy? Fostering someone else's child who's coming out of a dysfunctional situation. Let's bring that into my family. That's not what crosses our mind. It's Jesus grabbed me and I'm dysfunctional and he loved me. So now I want to love someone else the way he loved me. That's blessing somebody. That's listening to a need in a community. That's seeing the story of Tampa Bay, which has high, high, higher than average foster kids. Has higher than average sex trafficking. Yet we just go about our day. We're not even listening to the story of our city or the story of our neighbors because we're so consumed with the main story that's in our own head. And that's where we have to start listening to God and to others. Take the greatest commandment and, and still love God and love others, but replace it with the word listen. Listen to God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And listen to your neighbor as much as you listen to the voice in your own head. This will make us a people who are outward focused, who are loving, who are blessing others, who are engaging and knowing people on a deeper level than just the superficial, hello, in case I don't see you, good morning, good evening, and good night. The rhythms of God are amazing. The next one we're going to fly through these is celebrate. Here's a line I promise you none of you have heard. There's just, imagine this raging party. People are dancing, having a good time. What's your first thought when I say the Christians are coming? Oh, wah, wah, wah. You know the Christians are the last ones to get invited to a party? The reason why I don't tell people I'm a pastor right away is because I want to get invited to the party. Because you all don't know how to party anymore. You gave it up. You know what Jesus' first miracle was? first miracle. Jesus, the king of the universe, God in the flesh. He's like, I got a miracle brewing up in me. You know what it was? He made 760 bottles of wine for a party that ran out of booze. This is the creator of the world. Have you thought about this insanity? Because Jesus knows that to be a child of God means we have a reason to celebrate that is beyond just drunkenness. It's beyond just sex. It's beyond just pleasure. It's beyond just eating. All of these things point to a forever celebration in a forever family. And Jesus said, wine is not running out on my watch. If I were the king of the universe, I'm doing this backwards. I'm doing like, let's raise the dead. Let's get everyone's attention. But then if you think about it, it's really brilliant. Because Jesus came for the, the broken. Jesus came for the sinners. Jesus came for the lost. He didn't come for the religious people who thought they could save themselves. But we do that. Christians, you guys are the most boring people at parties that I know. Stop it. Be a person who brings life. And it's like the littlest things. I saw, we have a whole group of chapel people that go to this brewery in Riverview. And they have a program called Beer It Forward, where you people buy a beer and if you are that description, you get a free beer. There's one there for a combat veteran I saw just the other day. And there's beers for teachers. Free beer. And you just grab the ticket, take it up there. You want to know what is like all over that board? Chapel beer things. I talked to the bartender this week and he goes, aren't you the pastor? Yeah, yeah. He goes, your people buy a lot of beer for other people. <laughs> it's because they love Jesus. It just literally says, there's one for, there was one for every microchurch up there last week. It said Chapel Soma, Chapel Tribe, Chapel Gathering. It's, we have these names for these microchurches we do. 
And I've seen videos of like people flipping coasters, like 25 coasters. Was that you? Someone flipping. They set the champion record of coaster flipping. I don't even know that's a thing. But I'm like, yeah. You know who's not bringing in? Who's not taking celebration and really like getting people that are at the bars to come to want to even know anything about Jesus? The people like one of the Uber drivers that picked up one of the former bartenders there. And the former bartender was picked up by the Uber because he had had way too much to drink. And, uh, and he confessed that he, that I, he, he said, I have a pastor. He comes in and drinks. My pa-, and he called me his pastor. He literally came here one time, called me, he calls me his pastor. And, uh, and the Uber driver that was driving him that night happened to be a pastor at another church and scolded him about me. Well, your pastor should never do this and drink this. Does your pastor know that you're getting drunk? Does your pastor know... Like, do I know that a person who works at a bar and doesn't, isn't part of a faith family gets drunk? Yeah. Do I know that when you talk to someone who's a human being that way, you're really enticing them to want to know the love of God? You're really teaching them about sin when you just berate them and grate them rather than say, you know, are you tired of throwing up in the bush yet? Because I've had a lot more conversations with people after they drink too much or sin too far or have this t- addiction too much where I just say, there's a better way. There's a better story. I've been listening to your story. You think that you drinking this or you smoking that or you getting away from this or you going for this sexual relationship. You think that this affair or this job or this promotion or this cheating on the taxes, you think these things will give you a perfect world, but I promise you they won't. I've heard you say these things, man, but there's a different story. There's a different story that I believe God wants to write into your life. Just come with me and eat. Just come with me and eat. And this is how disciples are made when you eat with people, when you listen with people when you share your story and you listen to their story and then you share God's story. Most of us can't um, share God's story, which we need to remedy this year. Because here's what happens. You want to know what happens when I, as a pastor, when I'm at a bar and I open this book to talk to somebody? What do you think happens in their heart when I go like this? Let's talk about something. Do you think they're excited or do you think their brain begins to back away? 90% of the time, they're pulling back. So I, I learned the story of God. I wanted to learn it from beginning to end. I wanted to know why what starts in creation. It goes through all these ups and downs of Abraham and learning what family is like. And it goes through Joseph and weird dreams and jackets. And then it goes to Exodus where there's this law and this desert and this wandering and they're lost. And they get in the land of milk and honey. Sounds really sticky, but uh, that's where God put them. And then they have these tribes and it breaks down into little tribes and houses. And then there's kings, bad kings, good kings, kings kill giants. And then there's prophets. God gets angry. God says, why are you doing this? Stop running away from me. Stop running away from me. Stop spitting in my face. And God keeps pressing in. And then there's a break where God just shuts up for 400 years. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he's like bringing life and light and love and truth and joy. And he's lifting up prostitutes. He's hanging out with drunkards. The religious people say, you eat too much and you're a drunk. And Jesus says, I ain't leaving. These are my people. And he brings this in. This is the story of God. And it goes all the way to Revelation. Do you know the story of God enough? If you don't, I want to help you this year so that you can enter in to what God has for you and not simply stand there at the day you die and say, I attended, God, I attended faithfully once to two times per month. I served. I served like crazy, Lord. I served in kids' men for three years, and then I didn't serve another soul for the rest of my life. Lord, I served, and I got tired. Lord, I, Lord, I, I said the prayer. I led people in a prayer. And I'm not saying this to guilt you. I'm saying this because there's so much more that God has for you if you would enter in. If you would enter in to what it means to be a disciple. Recreate is just the rhythm of creation. Rest and create. That's why there's a little E. God says rest and create. Rest and create. 
the rhythm he set up was this, that we have, a, we have a Sabbath rest that was meant to be forever. We can rest without pressures because God is our Father who provides for every need and will one day put us in the kingdom that lasts forever. We don't have to worry about food and shelter. We don't have to worry about being loved. We don't have to worry about being accepted. We don't have to worry about being achieving anything great. Christians ought to be the most rested, sabbath people because we can say, God gives me everything I truly need. All of this is just icing. I can work as unto the Lord. doesn't matter if I have a good boss or bad boss because Jesus is my real boss. I can work trusting that what I get from my job is good enough for me today because Jesus said he'll meet my every need. I don't have to wait. I don't have to get this promotion. I'm not waiting on some human to do something. The God of the universe is my father. I can rest and not worry. Some of you, when I say no, don't worry, it actually sounds, you get an allergic reaction because you're so prone to worrying and stressing. We've created a whole culture that can't rest. I am um, confession. I've had to repent this week a lot going through these again. One of them is this. Um, I hate Candyland. The game. It's the dumbest game. If you are the creator of Candyland, a, po a pox on you and a pox on your houses. Um, and I used to never, I just never would play it. It drove me crazy because I like skill-based games where I can mentally destroy you, okay? That's my type of game. Candyland is full chance. And it's just, if you get it, you get it. If you get that candy drop that puts you way up on there, you win. Or if you're five from the end and you get the shoe, you go all the way back down. I hate it. <laughs> and I used to not play it. I don't, it's a waste of time. It's not even a game that's sharpening my mind. It's literally a brain-dead game. I, I don't want to play it. And God said, what? I'm going to play Candyland with your kids? I gave you kids. They're your first disciples. Jackson, Silas, Savannah, Bella. Those are my primary disciples. Teach them how to rest and relax. Imagine God, when he created the world, puts Adam and Eve there and says, On the, you just rest. One of these days, you just rest. The rest of the days, you push back darkness. You bring life. You cultivate this world to create good things. But that day, you just rest. Imagine the first time Adam's like, well, I'm just going to work this day. I can't take a Sabbath because I've really just got to work this, just this day. This last week, I gave up my Sabbath, and I was so heated. I never now, if you ask my close people, I never give up my Fridays, ever. You have to be dying for me to do something church-related, literally. And this week, my father-in-law was pestering me. And, uh, and our tech director, he's been working a bunch of marathons at Disney. He blows stuff up for a living. And, uh, and that's the only day they can meet. So I gave up my Sabbath on, a, on the week that I'm preaching about resting and creating. And I felt just normal. You know why? Because God loved me when I failed, and God loves me when I succeed. Because his love for me does not depend on me. That's what these rhythms are. If we can live out our identity of a family of servants on mission, in all of these rhythms of life, this is what changes the world. This is what making a disciple is. Pressing people toward Jesus with the story of God. Listening to God as he prods us and carries us along. Because some churches have fancy mission statements. I know you guys, I'm just not that pastor. And there are churches that are like, win, build, send. And they've got cool voices for voiceover things. And they have videos that, pow, pow, pow. This is the best I could come up with. This is Ryan Brain. If you want to know how Ryan Brain works. Someone says, we need a clear mission statement. Why does a chapel exist? Here's why. The, the chapel exists to make disciples of Jesus. And this is where it gets profound, guys. Who make more disciples of Jesus? Where do we do it? 
Just everywhere, every day, in the everyday stuff of life. Like you go to McDonald's for Jesus. You can walk your kids to school for Jesus. You pick your kids up from school for Jesus. You go to the grocery store, you think about Jesus. You pick up extra groceries to give someone a need. You pray for someone on the spot who's going through our day. This is how we make disciples. I'm not going to do this. With, but yeah, you could clap for that. It's for Jesus. Because, because at the end of your life, you have to stand before God. And Jesus said, I gave you this commission to go make disciples. Did you do it? So if you don't know how to do it, we're going to have... We're going to start having these evening classes coming up that are just going to walk through this. And if you don't have, a, if you're not connected to a microchurch, like get involved in one. Some of them are better than others, like straight up. But we're all learning to say, what does it mean to make disciples of Jesus? Like my group doesn't eat. It drives me crazy. I just wish we would just eat food because I think it's one of the most important things we can do for our souls. But if you go to some groups, like they have tacos every Tuesday night. That's why their groups are growing in Jesus' name. The, tr the gathering or the tribe, whichever one meets at the brewery, they meet at a brewery. Oh, it's Jared and Breely, that one. Oh, there's all these people coming to my group. You meet at a brewery. It's like bait on a hook. We're going to know where all the alcoholics who need Jesus are going. Your group. That's not true. It could be true. We're going to pray for them. We're going to listen. We're going to eat with them. We're going to share God's story with them that we don't need to be drunk on liquids because we have something that's even better. We're going to share God's story with them and with you and with your neighbors. But it's all together as a family who are on mission to serve God and serve the world with all that we are. So, um, so that's the chapel. That's it. And all this year, I'm going to disciple. Who's, who's discipling you? Who are you discipling? Get involved in some way. I'm not super organized in this way. When people say, I don't like organized religion, I tell them, come to the chapel. I am disorganized. But this is it. Discipleship. It's what Jesus left us with. I don't need to make something up. We don't have to come up with a program. 101, 201, 301. We're going to teach people how to make disciples by following one another, by being near, by being family, by eating together. Uh, so that's it for this next part of the, this. We're going to end. And um, we, I did have two songs planned. And I'm just going to confess to you guys straight up. This is going to sound funny to some of you. Amazing Grace is a deceptive song to play on a guitar. You've all heard it at funerals. So I'm not going to uh, sing it with today. I'm going to sing this other one instead. But uh, is, are my people even still here? Are you still here? Just, I thought they abandoned me. It's like a way to be family. Um, I kind of feel like singing Great Are You, Lord, again, instead of the other songs that we had planned. So I'm just going to sing that song because I confessed to you earlier it's my favorite. And here's what I need you to do. Let's start to be church today. Let's not wait until tomorrow. Uh, let's not wait until next week to be church. If you have a need today, like a, a physical need, I want you to come up and, and tell somebody. I need, um, I need a, someone who can write clearly. Who can write? Can you write? I mean, you guys, can you write? Get a piece of paper. Jay, get a piece of paper. Pen for Jesus' name. Yeah, we're not. That, this disorganized church, I told you today. And if you have a need, I want you to communicate to Jay. He'll be up here. A need that you have. You can come up during the song, come up after the song. Jay, you have to stay there for 10 minutes after the service in case someone has a need. Because if, if you don't tell us, how do we know what needs to meet? And I, I'll know, I'll tell you needs I have. A, pray that I don't kill my sister-in-law for barging in my room. B, I have a family of five living with my family of six. I have six kids in my family. It sounds so weird. Um, we're all living in one roof right now. And we only have two cars, my car and Amy's car. So I'm like, I told last service, like, if you got a car, please, if it's nicer than mine, let me borrow it, and I'll let Jake borrow my car. If it's dumpier than mine, I'll let Jake borrow your car. 
but some of you have needs like rent or a medical bill or something. Just And I'm not saying the needs are all going to get met, but please tell us so we can at least try to do something because we're the church. I could sell the stuff, meet the needs. And if you have prayer needs, um, who's here this service? I'm looking around. I'm looking around. Everyone just, all the, all the leadery people left. Oh, Dave's in the back. Charlie's in the back. Dave and Charlie, Melody, whoever wants to pray for people. Skip and Pam, you could pray for people, grab some people. Jake, pray for people. Renee, pray for people. Rob, pray for people if they need prayer. Raise your hand if I just asked you to pray for people, just so everyone around you could see you. There you go. Hey, you guys, I didn't script this. This is very unscripted. I made some introverts very uncomfortable just now. Take the opportunity as we sing about God's greatness again.